Obviously, many of us are very familiar with our Hashva speaker tonight, Rabbi Gottlieb, from many different ways. It was extra zechus to Rabbi Gottlieb join us tonight following a very Hashva Chabura from Shlomo Zalman. And it's a shem shavayta nachas from all the, all the kinderloch and enagloch. It's a zechus for us to have Rabbi Gottlieb here tonight. Okay, thank you, Rabbi Valinsky, and uh, I thank all of you for giving me the stage and the moment to speak with you. I know that you weren't given a choice, but uh, I hope that despite that, you will both gain something out of tonight and uh, maybe walk away a little bit enriched from our time together. Uh, I often find that the, uh, the job of the person who comes in to speak is to share some life experience and wisdom, and the, oft, or the job of the high school-aged boy is to ignore him. And I find that usually both do their jobs well. And uh, that's not a bad thing. Meaning right now, you are all way smarter than I am, and you know much more than I do. You've got the world figured out, and at some point in time, maybe you won't have it as figured out. Mark Twain once famously commented, when I was 14 years old, my father was the dumbest man on the planet. When I was 24, he was the smartest. And I couldn't believe how much the man had learned in 10 years. So maybe over the next 10 years or so, not just I, but those others who have the uh, opportunity to speak in front of you will become a little wiser. I want to share a thought that uh, for the younger members of our group will not sound so novel because it's not something you've thought about much, I don't think. I think the older members have mostly run away, so it won't sound so novel to them either, but there's always the app. Uh, I've always been bothered by the mitzvah in this week's parsha. Seva Bracious, as you are aware, has a paucity of mitzvos. That means very little. There are three mitzvos in total, the entire Sefer. And uh, the mitzvah of Gid HaNosheh in this week's parasha. So you know the story. Yaakov stays back. And there's a malach. The Gemara in says the malach is nidmeh. Kitam and chacham, according to one shita. And they fight. There's a, an all-out brawl between Yaakov and the malach. Malach cannot subdue Yaakov, he can't beat him. But the take of the Kaf Yerech Yaakov hits him in the, uh, the bowl of the thigh in the Kaf Yerech. And uh, he causes an injury. Yaakov is Toleil Yerecho, he's limping on that particular leg. Al Kain lo Yochlu Bnei Yisrael es Hagidanosha. Therefore, Bnei Yisrael don't need to get Anosha. So in order for us to commemorate, the Radak says, in order for us to mark and to give deference and kavod to Yaakov Avinu, so we don't need to get Anosha. 
So I would ask you the following obvious question. Mirza Shem, next Thursday night, you're going to light candles. It's Hanukkah. You're going to light candles to commemorate the nace of the menorah in the Beis Hamikdash and the fact that the oil that was supposed to last for a day lasted for eight days, right? This part, you know already, right? Because the Dios Kalios test about it, so I didn't write that one. Right, but you know that part? That makes sense. In other words, you're going to light a candle. You're going to think about why am I lighting a candle? So I'm lighting a candle because of candles, because of anase, because of oil, because of menorah, because of migdash, because of yavanim. It'll remind you. When is the last time you refrained from eating a gidhanasha and therefore thought about the fact that Yaakov Avinu wrestled with the Malach, with the Sarah Shal Esav, and that's why we don't need to get an Asha. So I'll tell you on a personal level, I'm still up to zero. And I would suspect, even though there are some people in this room older than I, although it gets fewer and fewer every year, but I would suspect that there's not a single person in this room that ever had the experience of going, ooh, get a nausea on the menu. No, no, can't take that one. Because Yaakov Avinu got hit in Kaf Yerech by the Sar Shalesov. So, ooh, yeah, you know, that's why I'm having get a nausea. So the question is obvious which is that the Torah is designing a mitzvah to commemorate the encounter between Esav and the Sorashal Esav and Yaakov Avinu and the harm that was caused of the attempt to cause harm. So as refraining from the Gidanasha help, I would suggest a very simple idea. But you have to think about what does it mean Vatiga Bekaf Yerech Yaakov what exactly was Ace of doing? And what is the danger that Ace of posed there that remains for all time that can somehow be combated and repelled by the absence of the Gidanasha? So there is a, a famous Medrash Chazal that the Tiga Yaakov means that. Esav, or the Sorashal Esav, realized he's not going to defeat Yaakov. He's not going to defeat Yaakov. It's not going to happen. You pit the Malach of Esav against Yaakov. Yaakov is too powerful. His Amun is too great. Not going to happen. But he recognized Zorashal Esav was the weak point. Yaakov means he recognized he could get Yaakov not through Yaakov but through his children. So I would ask you how is Esau going to get Yaakov not through Yaakov but through his children? It's a very simple idea. It's a fabulous conversation between Esau and Yaakov when they finally meet Yaakov says to Esau, I got a gift for you. I got a gift. Yaakov prepared a very nice looking gift for Esau. 
So Esav says, you know, thanks, but no thanks. I don't need it. Esav says to Yaakov, why don't you come with me? We'll do business together. So Yaakov says, thanks, but no thanks, I don't need it. But there's a slight, subtle difference in what each one says. Yaakov says to Esav, here's a gift. Esav says, Yeshli Rav. I got plenty. I got a lot. I need your gift. I got a lot. Esav says to Yaakov, come, let's do business together. Let's make it big. Yaakov says, Yeshli Kol. I got everything. I got everything. So it's a subtle difference. It's an almost imperceptible difference, but it's all the difference in the world. Meaning, for an Esau, there's never enough. For an Esau, there's always, there's more. I have a lot. But an Esau will never reach a point if I have everything I want. An Esau will never reach a point of satisfaction. I have everything. I'm good. I'm good to go. No. For an Esau, there's always something more. There's always a new iPad or a new iPhone. Right? Right? Or if it's a new watch, or if it's a new game, or if it's a new, there's always something else. There's always something else the market is going to churn out that an Esau is going to go, that's what I want, that's going to make me happy. But Yaakov can say, Yeshli Kol. I got everything I need. I know full well that the next this or the next that or the next that or the latest generation of this or that is not going to change my life for the better. It's an outlook on the world that divides Yaakov and Esau. An Esau outlook on the world is one that is fully steeped in the materialism of this world, that's going to make me happy. That's going to buy me joy, it's going to buy me happiness. Esau lives in the holiday shopping season. Right? Tis the season. He lives in the realm where he'll buy into all the marketing that if you buy this or buy that or buy that, it's going to make you happy. Yaakov lives in a world where, of course, that's wonderful. But he understands it's a means to an end, not an end unto itself. It's not going to make him happy. It's not going to make his life. It's a very simple, but huge divide. I might suggest, if you think about it, you'll recognize the truth of what I'm saying. Esau often fails with the older, seasoned, more established Jewish community, the older adults. But Esau is very successful with the youth. Esau is very successful to get you to believe that the next item you get is going to make you thrilled. Esau is very successful to get you to believe 
Well, that if you just buy yourself this or buy yourself that or have this or that, you're going to be thrilled. I will tell you, you grew up in a world, and I'm going to tell you something that most people don't say, but I can say it. What are they going to do? Not invite me back? Okay. For what they're paying me, don't invite me back. But I'll tell you something that uh, no one else will say. The uh, Orthodox Jewish world today is filled with these high-gloss magazines that are very, very popular. Talking about from magazines with Ryan Leib Steinman's that's all on the cover, or Baruch Mordechai Hazrachi's that's all on the cover, or Vasha Weiss, Mahavda bin Chaim Lechaim on the cover. You open up the magazine, and there's a hundred pages in a row of pamper luxuriate, indulge, tell you exactly where your cow ate breakfast and how much he ate for breakfast, right? And the next food store or clothing store, this, that's got greater luxury and greater indulgence than the next. So I will tell you, I don't allow those in my home. I don't allow them in my home. I allow the Wall Street Journal in my home. And I read it. And I do the crossword puzzle. Right? Because I know that in my home, when my kids open up the Wall Street Journal, and they see an advertisement for some luxury watch that's going to make your life, they know that's not Jewish. That's Asaph. They know that's not Jewish. But for my kids to open up a magazine, that they're going to look at it and say, oh, that's the standard bearer for Orthodox Jewry. To luxuriate, to indulge, that's going to be your, your life is going to be made once you get, you know, again, fill in the blank. They don't actually think it's Jewish. You might actually grow up to think that Orthodox Judaism is about the pursuit of $9 donuts. I don't think $9 anymore, maybe they're more. Uh, forget about the, uh, the boich. It's good for your uh, cardiologist, the $9 donuts. But we've developed a warped sense of what we're really about. What's the means, what's the end, what's the goal, where we're headed. And, and it can be disruptive. Have about a boss who was very close with Rav Moshe Bik Satsal. Bik was one of the great postkim of the last generation. And uh, his sister actually lived upstairs from Rav Bik in Borough Park. He, was, he lived near Rav Bik in the Bronx and then Rebik moved to Borough Park, his sister lives upstairs from Rebik. So Rebik was a dyad. And among other things that he involved himself in, he was busy very much night and day with all sorts of financial disputes, especially among families. So he told me, he heard Rebik once say, Pemo, he said, I hate money. It's a strong statement. 
I wouldn't say it. Maybe, you know, slight disdain, but hate. Hate money. He said, I see what it does to people. I see how it brings misery. I see how it brings pain. I see how it brings difficulty. I was involved in a case recently, a family. It's a person's worth a few million dollars. So his kids don't talk to each other. One of them doesn't talk to him. Right? Why? Because he wants his millions and she wants his millions and they want his millions. He just wants to be alive. But when life becomes about the pursuit of the money and the luxuries, so we lose sight of what life's about. Yaakov was ace of understanding Yaakov's not going to fall for it. But Yaakov one day will have teenage kids. And they'll read high-gloss uh, Orthodox Jewish publications. And they'll start to believe that Yeshli uh, Rav, I got a lot, but you know I can always use more. So I'll go for them. You know, I'll go for them. I might suggest, based on the Rambam, Rambam in the Morin of Uchim, in Perek Dalad, in Hilkos Deus, in Perek Dalad, in the Agdamar, in the Perish of Mishnayas and Ovos. The Rambam says the rules regarding Macholos Asuros are to temper our drive to go after Taiva and after this world. Not everything you eat. Not everything you indulge in. There's a limit. It's good. I know 905 is my Right? Not going over. That'll be ace of the Eitzah. Okay? But the, the idea that we put limits on ourselves, that we're contained, that we say, I come, that we recognize this is not our golden life, that the Ramam says is the underlying idea behind all Machol Sasuros. So if Esav is trying to come, and Esav is trying to say, Yeshli Rav, let me tell you what I can sell you. The best defense against Esav is to say, let's put a limit. Let's put a block. So you'll walk into any kosher butcher, and the, what's happened to the meats since I was a kid. You know, now you go in, I don't know how many dollars a pound. I fish, so, you know, I can tell you what the salmon sells for, but uh, whatever. You know, cowboy steaks. Cowboy steaks. So you eat, you eat Mama Chagant the cowboy. There's a whole cowboy there on, on a bone, right? Huh? But you won't find a, uh, a sirloin steak in a, in a kosher butcher. You won't find all these fancy cuts of meat. Why? They come from the back. They don't, uh, they don't do a Nicaraguit. Uh, so you can't get it. It puts a limit. And it says to us, we're not Yeshli Rav people. We're Yeshli Kol people. We're Yeshli Kol people. Yeshli Kol people are people who survived the Avanim, who are also Yeshli Rav people. They're people who survived Ace of Harasha, 
And the people who will survive the American uh, experience of also indulging and looking for the next fix from whatever is going to make you happy at that minute. So uh, again, I thank you for, for listening. I give you full permission to ignore me now. But maybe in 10 years from now, I'll have learned something. And maybe it'll, uh, it'll make an impression. Thank you.